Uh, well, before we get into the text this morning, uh, I just first of all want to say it's an honor, as always, to uh, be before you uh, and, and the heaviness of being uh, the man that is here preaching the Word of God rests on me this morning. I just want you to know that, just the responsibility uh, to preach God's Word and, and uh, the responsibility and the opportunity that it is. Um, it's, it's an honor uh, to be here with you this morning. Um, so if we can, let's pray uh, before we get into the text. Holy God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come into this place to worship your glorious name. To worship you for all of the right reasons, because you are perfect and holy and good and true. And even beyond all of that, you are perfectly merciful and gracious to us. So I just pray now that as we open your word, as we look into this gift that you have given us, that we see your revelation and that our hearts are transformed. Pray that you would speak truth, not that I would speak it, but that you by your spirit would speak truth from your word to build and edify your church this morning. We love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was on a bus this week, and I was headed to work, and I looked up and I saw a sign. There was an advertisement, uh, you know, as you've probably seen on buses. It was a bright blue sign, and all it had on it was a question. And it said, where are you with Christianity? Now this is obviously an advertisement for a church or a Christian organization, specifically for a church, one of our sister churches actually in Medford. So it said, where are you with Christianity? And then kind of behind that and around that, it had different words, different sort of reactions and answers to that question that people might have. So you saw words like angry or hesitant or confused or open. And one of the words on there was skeptical. And that word, as I've been preparing for this sermon and looking at uh, this specific passage in Thomas and his interaction with Jesus and the way in which Thomas approaches Jesus. I've been thinking about this idea of skepticism. And this church specifically was advertising it in such a way. Skeptical was one of the biggest words on there. It was one of the biggest um, words in, in the answers to that question. And I think the reason they do that is because our, our culture loves skepticism. Our, our culture is typically a skeptical culture, aren't we? I mean, we have gotten to the point in, in a lot of ways where our culture seems to actually glorify doubt and glorify skepticism, especially when it comes to matters of faith. When it comes to issues of faith, our culture, New England culture, specifically actually prefers skepticism and doubt versus certainty and truth. How misguided is this reality? How, how almost irrational is this reality that we prefer doubt over certainty? Because what is doubt like? I mean, what is, what is it like? As I thought about this, as I prepared, I thought about seasons that I've gone through where I maybe experienced doubt. So when I 
the year before I moved up to Massachusetts now, about seven years ago, I was in a relationship with a girl. And we, we dated for the year prior to me moving up here. And then we actually dated even the year after while I was here. So we had a long distance relationship. So, we, you know, all told, we were together for about two years. And pretty early on in the relationship, she, uh, it became obvious to me that she was a little bit further down the road than I was. And she made it known that she was sort of ready for that next step. And we were at the age where marriage is a possibility. And, and she was there. And it was, you know, she, she knew what she wanted. But for me, I could not overcome this, this sense of doubt. I could not, it was, it was heavy. It was a burden to me because I, I, to be honest with you, I wanted to get where she was because this was a great girl. You know, in a lot of ways, she was a great girl. But I just, I had this, this burden upon me, this heaviness upon me of doubt, just feeling like this doesn't seem to be the woman that I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with. And I didn't quite know what to do with that. And so, uh, you know, obviously I had to end the relationship. It, it, it had to come to an end because that burden of doubt was on me and I had to respond. And then just a year and a half later, I, I think from there I met Jess and I think we talked about marriage, our second date, and so <laughs> we were a little crazy that way. Um, but that, that doubt was overwhelming and, and that's what we need to understand is that Doubt is not inherently good. And so today we're going to look at a passage that Joey read earlier about Thomas and the way he interacts with Jesus and vice versa, how Jesus interacts with Thomas and realizing that doubt is a burden upon us, but Jesus in his grace wants to take it from us and wants to interact with us and wants to pull it off of us. So as we get into this text... We didn't go through the passage immediately preceding this last week, so we need a little context as to what's going on here. Jesus, at this point in, in, in the Gospel of John, he's died, he's been buried, and he's even resurrected. And in the, the passage immediately preceding this, he's actually appeared to some of his disciples. But I want us to think about where the disciples are, because obviously this includes Thomas. Where are the disciples at in their season of life where we catch them here in our passage today? Well, just imagine you've been following this man for three, three and a half years of your life. You've committed almost everything, if not everything, to this man. And he's now been killed as a common criminal, not in some amazing, glorious way. He's been put on a cross and killed as a common criminal and put in the ground. So, as a disciple, you've got to be feeling confused. You've got to be feeling lost. You've got to be feeling angry. You've got to just feel an overwhelming emotion, just an overwhelming flood of emotions at what did I just do with the last three, three and a half years of my life? Was it all worth it? What's going on? And if that wasn't enough for the disciples to deal with, they also have to fear for their very lives. They also have to worry about who's coming through the door because 
the Jews at this point wanted not only to get rid of Jesus, but they were fully intent on getting rid of this entire Christian cult. And at this point in time, it wasn't that big. That was very conceivable that you could get rid of all of Christianity. Because we're only talking about maybe a hundred, maybe a couple hundred people at this point. So it's conceivable you could squash this entire thing. And so the disciples not only have the emotions of their, their, their leader being crucified and all that comes with that, but they also are fearing for their very lives. And as we look at this, this specific passage, we see Thomas, one of the disciples, and the doubt that he is experiencing in this time. And we're going to see how Jesus interacts with that and how he demonstrates his incredible grace to Thomas. So let's look back at the passage. This is, verses, this is verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So right up front, we need to be careful not to be too hard on Thomas. It's easy, you know, Thomas, for the most part, is known as Doubting Thomas. I mean, that, he's known for a low point in his life. I mean, this guy, thousands of years later, is known for this one thing. And we'll get into it. I think there are some, some aspects of Thomas that we could be critical of. And we can, we can talk about that. But let's not be too hard on him right up front. He does demonstrate this doubt in, in, in Jesus being resurrected from, uh, from the dead. But again, we need to keep in mind that the other disciples have had the benefit already of seeing Jesus. Something that Thomas hasn't had. We don't know why. We don't know why he wasn't with the rest of the disciples in the passage prior to this, but he wasn't. So the rest of the disciples have seen Jesus. Thomas has not. And beyond that, Thomas, in, we know a little bit about Thomas from the Gospel of John in other instances. And in reading about him and about his character and who he was, he seems to be sort of a natural-born skeptic. Somebody that pursues the world, and, 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 or not pursues, but perceives the world as a skeptic. That's just the way he processes things. And that's not inherently bad. He, he, just, he seems to be somebody that wants to investigate things a bit before he, he buys into them, before he puts his faith completely in them. And as I thought about this, skeptics tend to be the most committed people of faith. Now, it might take a while for them to get there, but once they have, have sort of done their due diligence and they have fought the struggle of doubt and skepticism, and they've found Jesus on the other side waiting for them, they tend to be some of the most firmly committed believers in Christ. I have a, a buddy of mine that I hang out with every so often, and 
seems like almost every time we're together, we end up talking about religion and faith, and, and which is great, and, and I, I love his willingness to do so. But he is a self-admitted agnostic. So he would say that, uh, you know, we, uh, there might be a God if there is, but even if there is a God, we can't know anything about him. I mean, that's just really sort of impossible for us to know anything to be certain of God. So we'll talk about religion. We'll specifically talk about Christianity. Uh, I've had the, you know, great opportunity to share the gospel with him. Um, but he hasn't jumped into the boat of Christianity yet. He hasn't fully committed his life to Christ or anything like that. Obviously, that's my prayer. That's my hope that he's open enough to have these conversations that one day they will lead to, to saving faith. But even now, even before he's gotten to that place, I'm fully confident that if he does, and hopefully he does, his faith will be his own and he will own it. And it will be a foundation for him to build off of because of the way in which he approaches life. As I thought about this, a skeptic is, is not afraid of faith. A skeptic is not afraid of faith. A skeptic is afraid of gullibility. And there's, there's some huge differences there. And I think a skeptic pursues the world in that way. And if, if you, uh, like myself, if you maybe identify yourself as a skeptic, I want you to find some encouragement in this. That a skeptic is not afraid of faith, they're afraid of being gullible. One time I was leading a team uh, on a trip, and it was a bunch of college students, and we were serving this church that had a house that they had bought and they owned, and they would use it to um, house teams that came. So we had been there for a couple of days, and this other team came in from California. Now this other team, I don't know how many people they were. They were a bunch of wackos. Christian group, but a bunch of freaks. And, and I'm, I'm being, being honest with you. I'm not against, I'm not at all against the charismatic movement. I'm not against Pentecostalism. I think there's some amazing work for the kingdom done there. I'm loving Joey right now because I know he comes from some of that. But, this school, I don't even remember the name, but it was something school for the supernaturally gifted healers. Okay, so that gives you a, a, a taste of what we're dealing with here. So I come into our house that we're staying in, and I'm sharing the room with a couple of my team members. Well, there's a, one of the team members from the other team in there, and he's facing away from me, but he's showing a photo to two of my team members. And I just kind of walk in and start to listen to the conversation. Well, he is showing them a photo of the house that we're staying in. And what he had done is he had just recently taken this photo outside. He had taken it with a camera with a flash at night. So I don't know about you if you've ever taken a photo with a camera with a flash at night. You might have seen a photo that comes out with a bunch of white splotches on it. Well, instead of recognizing that that's what had happened... This man was claiming that every one of those white splotches was an angel and that our house was surrounded by angels and that not only were the angels surrounding the house, but they were inside with us on the bunk beds and that he could talk with the angels. And so I listened to all of this and 
at this point in the conversation felt like I needed to maybe step in because what was happening is we had two great examples here going on. We had one of my team members on this bed that was a freshman in college just sitting here listening, and we had a, a senior in college on this side of the room. This guy was eating up every word this guy had to say, wide-eyed, eating it up. Literally, by the end of the conversation, he left our room, went to the leader of that college and asked for an application. So that's what was going on here. On this side, my, my team member that was a senior in college was a bit more level-headed, a bit more maybe skeptical, and, and sort of dismissed what was going on in, in, in this moment. So I had to ask this, this team member or this other team member to leave. But skeptics aren't afraid of faith. They're afraid of being gullible. And so we look at, at, at the life and even this interaction specifically of Thomas, we need to keep that in mind. That he's not afraid of having faith in Christ. He's afraid of, of being gullible. Continuing on in the passage, verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So, we have Jesus that is resurrected from the dead and has this resurrection body. The, the, the disciples are in this room, and as I said, they're fearing for their lives, so they've locked the door. Jesus, even though he has a resurrection body that is described as a, a physical body in, in, in some ways, he sort of just like morphs into the room. I don't know if it was a disappearing act, he was on one side of the wall, disappeared, came and appeared on the other, or he can walk through walls at this point, but don't ask me to explain that, it's in the Bible, there's some crazy stuff in the Bible that I have no idea how to understand. But Jesus walks into the room through the wall, apparently. And the first thing that he says to his disciples that are fearing for their lives, that are confused about their future, that they don't know if the last three and a half years of their life were worth everything that they gave, he comes in and he says, Peace be with you. Now we might read over that, it's a short statement, but we need to unpack that just a bit to see how, God, how Jesus cares for his disciples. Keeping in mind where the disciples are having probably infinite questions about what's next for them and what their life looks like from this point forward. Their leader has been killed and they're now fearing for their lives. Jesus says, peace be with you. And in saying that, what he is saying is, guys, your life is going to look rugged from this point forward. There's no way around it. Your leader, the, 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 the head of the, the body has been cut off in terms of Christianity moving forward. But it's been resurrected in him. But their life is going to be rugged. It's going to be full of challenges. Peter, you're going to be hung upside down at the end of your life. But whatever happens to you guys, you need to know that I'm with you. You need to know that I'm with you. 
I think all of that is wrapped up in what Jesus is saying here when he says, peace be with you. Regardless of what this world is going to throw at you, my peace is with you and I will be with you. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So here Jesus takes it from addressing the group to addressing Thomas and gets specific in looking at Thomas and addressing his doubt. And I want us to see that, that Jesus condescends to Thomas. He, he, he comes down to Thomas to deal with his doubt, to interact with it. Maybe we assume that Jesus should do that. Maybe we, we just assume that that's what he should do. But he, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to interact with that doubt. He doesn't have to accept that doubt in Thomas. And yet he does. Yet he condescends to his disciple that's struggling. And he deals with it. He approaches it. He fleshes it out with Thomas, showing him incredible grace. Because Jesus at this point could have easily dismissed Thomas and said, Thomas, I've given you enough, man. I've given you enough time with me. You should have had faith. You should have bought into what I've been selling for the last three years. You didn't. You're out. We'll move on with the rest of the guys. But Jesus doesn't. He condescends to his disciple, showing him incredible grace, interacting with his disciple as he goes through this struggle. And not only that, but I do think that even though I've talked about how a skeptic approaches the world and that's not inherently bad, I do think that in Thomas's statement, there is some, some pride. I, I, I don't think you can read that statement and say, oh, he's, he's perfectly innocent. He didn't have any sort of pride or arrogance or stubbornness to him. I think there, that, that's there. I, I don't think there's any way around it. But even still, Jesus overcomes that, goes beyond that, and deals with his disciple, deals with the doubt that Thomas is struggling with. Isn't it great that our Savior is not scared off by doubt? Isn't it great that our Savior is willing to deal with us in our doubt? Thomas, in this passage, serves as a great sort of representative for us. Yeah, he was a historical person that lived at a finite moment in time, but he also has now lived eternally as this representative for us. And the way in which Jesus approaches him and overcomes his doubt and his skepticism, demonstrating incredible grace, should encourage us, should help us to see that as we deal with doubt, as as things come up in life as they always do, and we have seasons and bouts of doubt, we should be able to look back at this passage and say, Jesus loved Thomas in the midst of his doubt. 
Why wouldn't he also love me? Why wouldn't he also condescend to me? Why wouldn't he also actually help me wrestle with this doubt that I'm having? And as we look at this, we can't buy into the lie of our culture, as I said on the front end, because our culture would say doubt's a good thing. Doubt, doubt's all right. Be a skeptic. Question everything. Who needs certainty? Nobody wants certainty. Everybody wants to have questions for the rest of their life. We can't buy in to that lie that doubt is inherently good. Because Jesus here doesn't seem to be content with leaving Thomas where he is. So yeah, he, he condescends to Thomas. He comes down to Thomas to interact with his doubt, demonstrating amazing grace. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't, you know, come down to Thomas and say, you know, Thomas, let's just hang out here for a while. I'll be, I'll, you know, I'll hang out with you. This will be good. We don't need to go anywhere else. No, Jesus reaches down to Thomas and pulls him up. It says, you know, you, you might be experiencing doubt, but you need to get out of it. You, you, you need a desire to get out of it because it's not inherently good. Jesus comes down to rescue Thomas from his doubt. Jesus comes down to rescue us from our doubt. Verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. So, it's at this point in the sermon, or in the passage, I should say, that we could just do a little, little golf clap. A little golf clap for Thomas. Because through all of this, he's figured it out. You know, good job, Thomas. Good work. You, you fought through it. You know, for a second, we didn't know if you were going to make it out. But Jesus, you know, he came around. He, he helped you out. You know, good work. Good work. Because what he's saying here is exactly what Jesus wants him to say. We might read that and say, okay, you know, my Lord, my God, that's, that's good. That's, you know, it's always a good thing to say to Jesus. But let's, let's think about that. Let's unpack that a bit. Because there's not a much stronger statement that a Jewish person could make. There's really not much more of a bold statement of faith that a Jewish person in Thomas's situation could make. My Lord and my God. What was that? Five words. But what Thomas is saying is, you're everything. You, the, the person that stands before me is the God that created all things. The person that stands before me is God eternal. And as a result of that, my life is yours. My life is, 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 is yours. As Paul would describe it, it's a living sacrifice to Jesus. If somebody is your Lord and your God, it only seems to make sense that your life is dedicated to them. Especially from a Jewish standpoint, from a Jewish frame of reference. If you called somebody your God, your life then belonged to that person. And again, as Paul would say, it was a living sacrifice. That's the beauty of the gospel. 
Verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So this is a great example here of how Thomas has served as a representative for all of us. In that Jesus has been dealing directly with Thomas and has been wrestling with him in in, in team and in unison with him in his doubt. But that it take, Jesus takes it a step further in his conversation here. Beauty of it is, I think that Jesus, and I, I truly, you know, I, I trust this to be the case that Jesus had in his mind the future. He had in his mind where this goes next. Because he says to, to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Talking directly to Thomas. He then takes it the next step and, and really through, throughout the rest of eternity by saying, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He takes it beyond Thomas and, and, and just opens up the floodgates to all of us to then speak about how we are blessed by God if we would believe, if we would have faith in Jesus, in who He claimed to be, we would be blessed as well. Now this idea of blessed, I think we think of it always as a good thing. Jesus uses it throughout His teachings. uses it a lot to say a person is blessed. But there's also a, sort of a, a related meaning to it that I think even communicates a stronger message. The Greek word that's used here throughout the New Testament also has the meaning of being accepted by God. So not just being blessed. That's a great thing. We want to be blessed. Everybody wants to be blessed. We want to live lives of blessing. But Jesus is saying more than that here, and we don't want to miss it. Jesus is saying, not only are you blessed, but you are accepted by God. This is the Gospel. I mean, this is... This is everything right here. This is Ephesians 2.8, that we are saved by grace through faith. This is the gospel in that Jesus is saying, if you or if anybody believes in me, in faith, even though they have not seen me, they will be accepted by God. We are accepted by God as we place our faith in Christ. Jesus has turned this conversation, this interaction with Thomas from a simple dealing with doubt into proclaiming the Gospel. As I studied this, I wanted us to hear that. That Jesus is speaking to Thomas, but at the very end there, it's a beautiful turn of events. He turns it to all of us, and that we can now hear His words in saying, whoever accepts Me through faith will be accepted by God. Will you all pray with me?